you have a friend where you can talk with them about five different topics at about the same time you're simultaneously having like five different conversations over text or in person you can just flip from topic to topic and then loop back around to the same topic again and and then start talking about two things side by side and it's just rambly delicious chaos well you're listening to magic like this i'm your host christina wallace and this is your magic like this christmas special where i am joined by one of my darling friends dusty heggie of the business brewery and we are those people <laughs> we can talk about five different things at the same time and the reason that i wanted dusty to join me for this christmas special of magic like this We're normally a C.S. Lewis book club podcast. We are still a C.S. Lewis book club podcast, but while we have been going through the screw tape letters together this season, I'm not going to be looking at a new letter for this episode. What I'm doing is having Dusty join me to kind of do a recap of some of the themes that we've already covered in previous letters. So we look at the letter about prayer and how one of the themes that's come up a lot as I've spoken to people in book club is how we tend to try to manufacture feelings in our prayers and that was a topic covered in one of the screw tape letters we look at the topic of addressing suffering and evil we look at the topic of how to love each other well we look at the topic of disagreement and extremism these are all themes that have been coming up in previous screw tape letters and I'm having Dusty join me to talk about these themes through the lens of being a mother because we all have our own screw tapes to deal with as adults but as a parent you're also having to help your children with their little screw tapes and while some of you listening might not be parents I myself am not a parent I think that there is a lot of wisdom that we can glean through the perspective of a parent because actually the gentleness that we approach discipling children really I think should be applied to the gentleness we give ourselves as we try to become disciples of Jesus. I think sometimes we're really really hard on ourselves and so I really tried to make the connection as I'm speaking with Dusty who has a real heart for discipling children, that's why I had her join me for this, as I'm talking with her I'm always linking it back to how can we apply these parenting principles of developing our children's faith and helping them deal with their vices, their little screw tapes. How can we apply those things to ourselves? And the reason that this felt like a good Christmas special is because this, the podcast is called Magic Like This, right? And I think that Christmas can be one of the most magical times for children, especially. And what better opportunity to try to take the posture of childlikeness in our own lives to re-inject a little bit of magic into our faith and our spiritual journeys. So wherever you're at this Christmas, and I know Christmas can be a really, really hard season for people, but wherever you're at this Christmas, I just want to remind you that it's an opportunity, no matter what else is going on in your life, to reconnect with the God who injects magic into our spirits with his goodness with the birth of his son and what his son did for us on the cross, there is this promise of eternity that is pure magic, that is a hope for the future, regardless of our current grief. And so there's a lot of rambling that takes place in this episode, and I do apologize. I also go particularly American in my accent, because when I'm talking to an American friend, oh my goodness, I just revert completely. My voice just shifts, it's unconscious, and so I sound, I I sound 
I listened back while I was editing and I was like, oh my goodness, I have reverted to 16 year old Christina, but we're just gonna roll with it because we're passionate and we're excited and we go off on tangents, but we do bring it back. And I just hope that we can be a pleasant companion for you as you're maybe cooking Christmas dinner or wrapping gifts or whatever the case may be. But this conversation was so long that I've actually broken it up into two parts. I'm releasing them both at the same time. So if you want to carry on listening, you can do. But if we're just a little bit too much American excitement for you, that's fine. You can pause, take a break and come back to part two later on. But I hope that you enjoy. And without further ado, let's get into our chat with Dusty. Dusty, will you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, what your life looks like, like all the all the good things. Yes, absolutely. My name is Dusty. I am a Squarespace website designer and I have three littles that are seven, six, and two. My seven-year-old's almost eight and it's really freaking me out. That um, freaks me out. Oh my goodness. Wild? Yeah, it's just, it's insane. It's so fun to be able to be a parent and watch them grow up. It's also very like um, eye-opening just how much I need the Lord. Um, (laughs) My husband is a first responder and he works in a really high demanding, really high intensity job that he loves, but it is, it does take a lot on our family. It's, I think it's a sacrifice for every one of us, but one we're very happy to pay because it's so clear that God has led us here. Um, And I really have a heart for biblical discipleship, specifically for biblical discipleship for young mothers and for children, because those two go so hand in hand. Oftentimes it's the mother who is really pouring into their children at an early age, um, specifically regarding biblical discipleship, but in, in most ways, really, like oftentimes the mother is the primary caregiver. And that is a really, it is very important to me and something that I have walked through and been blessed to have a lot of people come alongside me and teach me because I wasn't really set that example um, in a way that I think was really very fruitful for me in my early years. And so it brings me such joy to be able to sort of fumble my way through and seek the Lord's guidance through that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. That's, you're fabulous. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so that's me and all- Christina go way, way back. Way, way back. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I just picked Dusty up off the street. We're, we're, we're old timers. Um, Dusty is a dear, dear friend of mine, and we've worked together in a business capacity um, and just generally in like a we, – we kind of – we met each other through uh, an like entrepreneurship program. And so our f- foundation of our friendship was kind of built on supporting each other in our faith and in our business. But that's just grown to like we're just friends. Like Dusty flew out to England um, and actually was part of officiating our wedding ceremony. She she um, administered communion during during my wedding, which was just amazing. So we've got so a very deep and beautiful friendship, but it kind of started with supporting each other through entrepreneurship. And as I've watched your kind of business journey evolve, because it started with throwing pine cones, was it? Mm-hmm. Was that your first? It wasn't was my your very first, first, but it was the first that like, took root the first that took root. yeah to take a plant metaphor and really run with it <laughs> and that was like a biblical discipleship blog is yes. that correct yeah. yeah I would really describe it as like a women's ministry women's ministry mm-hmm. so I remember seeing you online with throwing pine cones and that was before we knew each other and I started following um, you just because okay. I saw mm-hmm. um I remember this is so crazy to me because I like we see a lot of stuff online and yeah. 
it's wild to me that I remember the first time that I saw you online. Um, I've never told you this before, no. but it was a picture. <laughs> it was a picture of you had this like beautiful top on that. Um, it was a picture of your back and it was the way that the, um, the sweater or the top was cut to shape around your tattoo. Yeah. And I remember seeing that and that was like the, um, meta tag image, thumbnail image for a link to your blog. And that was like a year before we met. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's a beautiful tattoo. And like, what a cool girl. And then like, didn't really think anything else about it. But just the fact that I remember that with how much content I take in every day, like Mm -hmm. I, this is like the the millennial way of being like, I remember the first time I saw you. (laughs) It totally is. It was like a year before we were friends. And I just remember seeing you online. And then we connected through this mastermind program, like a year Mm -hmm. later. Um, and I've watched your kind of business evolve. And then like when I sort of came into your life, you were at the throwing, you would, you're exiting throwing pine cones and going into the Grow Well podcast and Get Planty and doing sort of like the Houseplant Academy and all that kind of stuff. And the reason that I wanted to have you on the podcast today is because I know that um, obviously you kind of, God led you out of the the houseplant business uh, I don't want to say business model, but like that is your main yeah. um, educational platform was through like mm-hmm. Houseplant Academy and stuff like that. Um, I still go to Dusty with questions about my houseplants, but there As we go. You should. I've got I've got free access to Dusty whenever I want, which is just the best. I love having a personal Dusty. But um, as you came out of Houseplant Academy and you started moving more into web development with Squarespace, I know personally that like this is something that. I think is only just starting to be visible on the front end of your business. But obviously as your friend, I know that you have such a big heart for biblical discipleship of littles. And um, I'm not a mother. I mean, like I feel like it sometimes with a puppy because it feels like I have a toddler, but I know that um, discipleship looks very different for for children. Obviously I'm not discipling my puppy. I do pray over my puppy and I know that seems kind of weird, but I do pray over my puppy because I believe that God cares about all his creatures. But that is not an element of parenthood that I experience. I'm not sitting there teaching my children about discipleship, about scripture. And the reason that this is like, because people are probably sitting here thinking like, how is this a Christmas special? So the <laughs> reason that I wanted to invite you in to talk about um, discipleship of children specifically is I'm going to frame this in two ways, because obviously you're a mother. I am not a mother. And I wanted to look at some of the themes from screw tape from the perspective of how we disciple and teach our kids to be aware of those same themes, but obviously at a, at a child level, because screw tape is really heavy stuff. It is adult content, but the reality is that like kids have their own little screw tapes, right? That they're like things that they're struggling with. And Mm -hmm. it's the same things that we're struggling with, but just at a child level. So that's kind of one angle that I wanted to look at, and I really wanted your input there. But I also wanted to kind of loop it back in, because for anyone who's listening to this who's maybe tempted to just skip this episode because you're not a parent or, you know, it just doesn't feel relevant to you. There's also something that I've been learning in my, um, I work with a coach who honestly sometimes like feels like half coaching, half therapy, because she's a really holistic coach. So she does executive coaching and life coaching and relationship coaching. She's got like such a wide breadth of certifications that 
if I'm like coming to a coaching session, I, w- I thought I was going to be talking about business stuff, but I actually am having some really hard emotional stuff. She'll just switch gears and work with me on that. And so there is an element of it feels like therapy and um, not saying that coaching and therapy are the same. They are different, but there's a therapeutic element to it. And within that, I've learned a lot about the whole concept of reparenting ourselves. So that's kind of when we go back and look at seasons of trauma from our past, um, sometimes it can go all the way as far back as to childhood. We, the concept of reparenting ourselves is basically um, accessing that gentler side of ourselves to like give ourselves grace and give ourselves kindness and like kind of open our mind up to aspects of healing by being as gentle with ourselves as we would be if it was a little kid coming up to us in pain because of these things. And it's essentially a tool for, for helping us realize like we're so much harder on ourselves than we can be on other people when we're in pain, when we're grieving, when we're dealing with trauma. But if you had a little kid come up to you and they were struggling with something like you would, you know, you disciple your children. And I know there's like discipline is an element of that, but you'd also be like, I've seen you with your kids. You're gentle and you're kind with them. And I feel like as adults, sometimes we don't offer that gentleness and that kindness to ourselves. So I think that when we're talking about, you know, discipling our children against their little screw tapes, there's times where maybe in the last few episodes where I've I've talked about stuff that's really heavy and maybe there's been a temptation for us as adults to be really hard on ourselves and be like, oh man, like I totally am one of those people that tries to manufacture success in my prayers or I'm totally one of those people who like falls into the temptation of extremism or whatever and like it's good to acknowledge those things but also like how can we be gentle with ourselves as we um try to be better disciples the way we would be gentle as we try to disciple a little kid I hope that connection doesn't feel like it's too far-reaching um yeah I I mean it makes sense for my end (laughs) Excellent. Well, that and you you have like open access to my brain most of the time because I like verbally process with you. But this felt like a good Christmas feature because Christmas is, you know, in theory meant to be like a really magical time. And, you know, the podcast is called Magic Like This. And I feel like th- I've got this all connected in my head. I'm hoping I'll communicate it clearly. But I feel like, Dusty, you're so good at, like, injecting magic into your kids' lives. Like, you always go all out for their birthdays, and, like, you make it a really magical time for them. Um, And then we hit adulthood, and Christmas becomes, like, real, real stressful. (laughs) And it just loses all of its magic. And so I'm kind of hoping that through the theme of, like, gentleness in discipleship, we can kind of re-inject that magic back into our lives that we had yeah. as kids at Christmas. Um, you can tell that I was like someone who wrote academic essays. I can draw t- a connection between two unrelated things super well. But it's this really felt like it's beautiful. This felt like a good time, like at Christmas, to talk about like how how do we experience the magic of our faith the way a kid would? How do we experience like gentleness in discipleship the way a kid would? Um, how do we disciple ourselves with gentleness? How do we disciple our kids? Like taking all of the like metaphors and correlations aside legitimately, like your heart is genuine, like literal discipleship of littles. Like, so yeah. I wanted to go through a couple of the themes that I've covered from previous episodes and just kind of get your take on them as a mom, if that's okay. Yes, I would love to. I would love to. Great. The first one I wanted to look at is. One of the the letters that has come up a lot 
when we've been talking and also like I've heard from other book club members within the Substack community, one of the letters that's come up a lot is um, the one about prayer mm-hmm. and particularly the theme of how we try to manufacture a feeling when we're praying to like feel that our prayer has been successful. So mm-hmm. I would really love to know like how do you talk about prayer with your kids? How do you approach prayer time with your kids? Mm-hmm. Have they ever asked you any really compelling questions about prayer that you've had to work through? Like, yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that's really important to me because I, um, this is something that I feel like I was really blessed to be modeled well to me, especially in middle school and high school, um, and how to approach prayer with a bit more of a humble heart. But I've also seen it used in ways that was um, manipulative. And I've seen it used in ways where, um, maybe something was being taught or preached that somebody didn't agree with. And so then they corrected that person in their prayer, which is just horrible because that's not us coming to Christ with our burdens or with requests or with praise. That's us. That's us manipulating somebody. Um, and that's so opposite God's heart. And something that I think is important to come back to, and I would love to point out, is that you mentioned really parenting ourselves and kind of treating ourselves more gently before we can ever do that to even really our children. Um, And I think that that's important because we cannot disciple our children well if we are not first disciples of Christ. Like if we're not actively seeking prayer, we're not actively seeking to know who God is, Um, to the best of our ability, exactly where we're at, even if that is a bit of a rocky search and it doesn't feel as like poetic or as Instagrammable as maybe you might think it should be. um, When we are actively seeking Christ, the outflow of so much of our lives is going to emulate the Holy Spirit. It's going to have naturally some elements of discipleship baked into our character. Um, And I think that that's important to begin with because I would love to say, oh, here are all my tips and practical things. And I can certainly share those because I do have those things, but it's all for naught if it's coming from a place of me trying to manufacture holiness in my children because I am not the person, I I would make a horrible savior. (laughs) Um, And so when we come to Christ with those things, it makes it so that it's we get to be an extension, as it were, of God's holiness, of God's discipleship and of his love. Um, And so that's the thing that I think is so important to begin with. The way that we approach prayer specifically with our kids, the very first thing I did is I realized that prayer is like almost Christianese. Um, It seems like... um, I mean, if we break down what prayer is, it's a conversation with God. And I think we forget that it's a conversation, that it's a back and forth. Yeah, I think we can overcomplicate it. Yeah, we make it into this like formulaic, this is exactly how it has to be done. And while there is nothing wrong with following a formula per se, it can become messy really fast. It can easily slip into legalism. It can easily slip into um, trying to exactly like you were saying, like sort of using prayer like a... Like as if Jesus is like a genie granting our wishes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I rarely ever say prayer 
to the my kids, we always say, "Hey, do you want to talk to God or can we can we ask God to help you with this or can we ask God for forgiveness about this thing or hey, That's you, interesting. You really made a bad choice here. You hurt somebody whether you meant to or not, there's consequences to that. Let's go to God and talk about it and ask for his forgiveness and, and make sure that your sister or your friend or whomever is okay and see if they would like to talk with God about it too. Mm. Um, and so we do use the word prayer. It's not like we never say it, but I try really hard to be intentional about, no, this is a conversation with God. And I think that that has really helped me because yeah. I am a checklist kind of a lady. I really like yeah. to like be done with the task. Um, and using that language with my kids has helped me remember myself. Like, no, 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 this is a back and forth. God doesn't want us to just be like stick perfect people. He wants mm. us, he just, he enjoys being with us in our messy selves. And he wants to hear all of the stuff. Um, and so that's one thing that I think is really practical for both um, a, a parent discipling their children and somebody who is maybe working at looking back at their own relationship to Christ and their own prayer life, how they can implement something like right away is remembering that it's a conversation. I like that. Now I want to press on that a little bit um, because I have a question. I recently have, well, I say recently, it's been within like the last 12 to 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. I've really felt this prompting from God to start practicing liturgical prayer, yeah, which is a bit more um, a monologue-ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're if we're being real, most of our prayers look like monologues because we don't usually hear the audible voice of God in our prayers every single day. Like I wish right. we did, um, but that's I often feel a sense of God's presence. I'll I'll sense um, Him leading me to a particular scripture, and so He does answer me. It is a conversation. You're absolutely right, but it's not a conversation um, in the literal sense. It's like what you and I are having right now, where we can both hear each other's voices, and there's like a clear reactive response back and forth. One is practicing something like liturgical prayer, which feels even more monologue-ish, if that makes sense. I know that um, you're not raising the kids in a um, like Anglican or Catholic tradition, but for someone who is raising their kids in that kind of environment, um, how can, basically, I guess what my question is, is like, I agree with everything you said, Within the different traditions, Christian traditions of prayer, how can we apply this concept of like how intimate and personal our access is to God, even if it's through something like an ancient liturgical prayer that someone prays over and over again and has been prayed by the saints for hundreds of years? How does how do we still feel that intimacy with God when I think from like my background and like I have an evangelical background, um, people kind of looked down at liturgical prayer and thought it was like this really disconnected, stuffy, outdated way of praying. And like the Holy Spirit has revealed to me recently that it is like a beautiful, like ancient way of almost like tapping into this energy stream of hundreds of years of saints who are giving themselves to God in meditation and devotion. And I think it's beautiful. In our conversations with littles, like depending on the different Christian tradition that a parent might be raising their kids in, how can we like connect any form of prayer, whether liturgical or freestyle to that, like intimacy with God? Absolutely. I think, I think the way I can best explain how I think this should be approached is bringing it to reading the Bible. Um, When we read scripture, I'm going to be honest, 90% of the time, it's straight up boring. Like, 
You do it out of obedience. You do it because you want to learn the thing. You do it because you know God has asked you to. But more often than not, you're not going to have some big spiritual revelation. You're just going to read it because because that's what we do. We want to be obedient to Christ and we can have faith and we can rest in his goodness that when he asks us to do something, his rules are for our good. He is a safe, safe God and his love is safe and his rules both glorify him and keep us safe and those around us safe. And so that's something we we say, that exact phrase, my rules are for your good. They keep you safe and those around you safe. Um, I say that to my kids so many times in a day because God's rules are a million times more safe. A million times. Like, there is no error. I'm going to do my best effort to keep my kids safe, but there is a limit to what I can do. I'm going to do my best effort to love my kids, but but my love will be a broken love. It will not be perfected love. It will not be holy. Um, by God's grace, like there's restoration there, but I'm not God. And so the reason I bring it back to that is because there is beauty in obedience. And I think it's from obedience and it's from discipline that devotion outpours. And so whether you're starting with a more freestyle form of prayer or you're starting with a more liturgical, like formulaic maybe for lack of better term, but like that's a scripted prayer, um, both have such power. And I would, I would argue that both are necessary. Both are important and both have great, great value. I think we have to continuously remind ourselves and seek God's guidance and say the actual words to him. Like, make yourself real to me, God. Like, help me to understand who you are. Remind me that you're safe. Help me to rest in your truth. Because a lot of those prayers are going to point back to those characteristics of, of who God is. That God is mighty. That God is powerful. That God is safe. That God mm. is in the business of redemption. And I think learning from other people's prayers and seeing the way that they commune and communicate with and rest in God's presence or wrestle with God's presence even um, can teach us a great deal about the God that we're speaking to from a perspective that we may not be able to see. In the same way that like uh, my kids are going to look at me differently than my husband is going to look at me. Like they're going to see different characteristics. They're, the relationship there is going to be different. And so the way that I view God is naturally going to be different than the way my kids see who God is or the way that you see who God is or the way that mm. somebody who's raised in a Catholic church see who God is. It's still the same God. There's still one true King. There's still one true Lord. Um, and, and it is very likely that we're all serving the exact same God, but we're going to see him through different lenses and different viewpoints. So I am absolutely a fan of of utilizing that style of prayer. I think it's beautiful and it's important. Um, mm. But I think that that is the lens that we have to remember is that sometimes, even when we don't want to pray, even whether whether it's freestyle or like that like sort of liturgical prayer, is that just remembering that God is safe and that his rules are for our good. And sometimes... We don't start from a place of passion. We start from a place of obedience. And that is beautiful. I love that. And something else, my academic brain picked up on one particular thing that you said, because it felt mm -hmm. like, like, I loved everything that you said, but there was a little piece that felt like, for those who love the really practical, like, here's the question, here's the mm -hmm. answer. I felt like you, you touched on it in that, um, in a context of liturgical prayer, the real key is like, be very tuned in 
to who you're speaking the words to. Yes. Yes. I think that's like you, you said that in like the flurry of like passion that you were speaking. You said a lot of stuff. I love it. I love it. But like, I, so one of the reasons that liturgical prayer has really been on my heart. And I mean, you are very kind and listen to my episode. So you've probably noticed that like the theme of the Lord's prayer has continuously been coming up for me. Um, I'm not planning that each episode. I'm not like sitting there trying to weave the Lord's prayer in Mm -hmm. the Holy spirit just keeps bringing me back to the Lord's prayer. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the oldest liturgical prayer. Yes. Um, it, from like from Christ onwards, like I know there will be liturgical prayers um, pre birth of Christ um, in the Jewish tradition, but like this is the liturgical prayer that Christ gave us. Yes, and it's so easy to um, forget about the one to whom we are saying these things yes. and the intensity of the words. So mm-hmm. especially like here in the UK, um, most we call them primary schools, the elementary schools are linked with a church of England church. So you'll, you'll have like a Catholic school or a C of E church of England school. And that's very common. Like it's more common here to have um, a Christian undertone to the primary school curriculum than it is in the U S where that's like a major separation of church and state issue. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, even like no matter what your religious background, like a lot of people will send their kids to see of these schools. And so part of the like curriculum is assembly where they'll like pray the Lord's prayer. And I think that it's so easy with liturgical prayer, especially to get kind of numb to it mm-hmm. because you're just so used to hearing it. But when you really yeah. think about the words, like your kingdom come, your will be done mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. When yeah. we remember who we're speaking to, yeah. like, you, the the almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the God who came down in flesh and died for me, who sits in the pit with me, who knows me by name, who knew me before I was made in my mother's womb, whose spirit raised your son from the dead and now lives in me. You, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Like that blows my mind. And to me, that is magical if you're five and it's magical if you're 45 and it's magical if you're 85. Like when we remember the one to whom we are praying and that we have direct access to him, whether it's freestyle, hey, have you talked to God about it? Or whether it's like, our our father, hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You, the father, the maker of heaven and earth, like the grand designer of my very being, your kingdom come, your will be done. Like yeah. either which way, like the fact that we have bold access to him just yeah. by remembering who he is, yeah, that's like that is something you can teach your kids. And that's something I think like we can reparent ourselves in moments where we're like white knuckling it in our prayers, trying to make our prayers, quote unquote, work. Yes, We yeah. can kind of just regroup with the simple act of being like, oh, that's who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. I forgot for a minute. How wild that I forgot. But here, God, I'm back now. I remember <laughs> like that you are our father in heaven that your name is holy, that you are so worthy of like being inaccessible to me and yet you make yourself accessible to me. Yes, And that's wild. It is absolutely wild. It is. That makes me think of two things. The first is you mentioned how God keeps bringing you back to this theme of the Lord's prayer and how it's been worked into so many, into so many areas of your life recently. And I think that that goes to show the Holy Spirit working when we just take a step forward, whether it's through prayer in whatever form that 
that takes. And we're truly meditating on, on the glory and the goodness of God. Um, that just really goes to illustrate the point that we don't need to force discipleship. We don't need to force mm. understanding who God is because he, we don't understand who he is. We don't understand him to such a degree that we can accurately teach the fullness of who God is. Like he wants to teach us and it's that faithful obedience of, okay, I'm going to continue to come to scripture. Or if you feel a little nudge, if you feel a little interest or a thought that pops into your head, like, hmm, I want to learn more like liturgical prayers. Follow that because chances mm -hmm. are that's the Holy Spirit. No, that is the Holy Spirit saying, follow this thread, just see what happens. And the depth and the like, um, the vastness of who God is just slowly, slowly unravels. And the way that I can bring that back to the discipleship of kids is as I pray with my children, I try really hard to not set specific times, but also there are always specific times we pray. And so I think that that also models in the same lesson, but in a different way um, of the, the freestyle versus like um, more formulaic. So yeah. we always pray before bed. Um, we always pray before school together. Those are the two times where we're almost every time we're always praying. And I usually lead a prayer and then I ask them, hey, would you guys like to talk to God? Would you guys like to pray too? Nine times out of the ten, they say yes, but sometimes they say no. And I say, all right, that's just fine. Sleep good. Yeah. Good night. Um, <laughs> that said, there are certain times where I'm like, no, you have to come to God about this. You made a bad choice. I need you to ask for his forgiveness. He is such a good God. He will forgive you, but I need to model to them. This is the process we go through to to um, make our hearts right with the Lord, to, to reconcile not just our relationship with the one whom we wronged, but to reconcile our relationship with Christ, to come back to him with a repositioned mm. heart, with a humble heart and say, God, I messed up and I know that there's nothing I can do to like make that go away, but I know that you can, Lord. I know that you can redeem this. And so I ask for your forgiveness. And so a lot of times they're not the ones saying the words. I say those words for them. And I've noticed this as, especially my uh, seven-year-old, or sorry, my six-year-old, as the I've done this more frequently, the scales are starting to tip. She is doing it more often. I'll offer, would you like to ask God forgive for forgiveness or would you like me to ask on your behalf? And as she's gotten older, as we've gone through these motions of me modeling to her prayer, not dumbing down the words that I would speak to my God for her sake, because I'm speaking to God. I'm not speaking to God. I'm not speaking to her. Does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah, see yeah. a lot of people pray in front of their children and like, okay, bless this food to my body. And we say these like kitty terms. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I do think it sort of restricts the fullness of what I believe that prayer can be for that child and what I believe that that relationship with God can look like when we dumb You're stuff. not holding back letting your child witness your relationship no. with God. Mm -mm. There are certain things I'm not going to pray about in front of them. Like, of course, sex yeah. Life. I'm not going to pray about that with my child. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if when it's about her and you're like exactly. almost interceding for her, yes. you're not going to hold back her seeing mm -mm. the fullness of what that no. intercession can look like. Yeah, the fullness of yeah. what evil really is. And yeah, you yeah. lied about this and that's really evil. And I need you to see how bad that is. I also need you to see that however level, whatever level of evil we have happening here, whatever level of sin, God is a thousand times bigger and so we're gonna go to him because he's safe 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're you're constantly safe in your redemption. You're constantly safe yes. and like you are never beyond like mm-hmm. you are never going to stop being able to access God. There's nothing yes. you can do that will make God inaccessible. You can always come to him no matter what you've done. Like mm-hmm. one of the things that I feel like my mom tried to drum into my head when I was a kid, especially as I started to hit my teen years, I think she was waiting for me to hit like a wild like seen in my life like a wild season in my teen years I never did I was the most boring teenager in the whole world I'm still boring when I was 16 I felt like I was 45 I'm now 30 and I feel like I'm 65 like I'm just I'm a a boring old soul um but she was like as I hit 13 14 she was constantly saying to me I want you to know like no matter what you do no matter what you do like you could go and get drunk and get pregnant at 14 please don't but if you did you can always come home you are always, always yes. safe. Yeah. And I feel like, like I believed her. I knew that I could come to her with anything. I felt so safe. I didn't end up in a situation where I needed to come home, like with my tail yeah. between my legs. Mm-hmm. But I knew that even if I did, I could come home. Yeah. And I feel like it's so good that you're showing your girls. Like that's where there's like that, that fine line between like firmness and gentleness, because mm-hmm. you're firmly saying like, no, lying isn't okay. Mm-hmm. But the gentleness of being like, but you can always come home, right? Like God is always there. And I feel like sometimes as adults, I've talked to people who are like, even though they know the Lord, they feel like there's seasons in their life where they are no longer worthy of access to him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, we're all worthy because Christ paid the price to cover us with his worthiness. Yeah. we are you always... Yeah, you, we are like, yes, we are saints. We have access to Mm -hmm. him no matter what. You can always come home. And yeah, I feel like that, that element of just like, we overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. We overcomplicate it in how we pray. We think we need to pray. Like, and something that I'm, you can correct me if I'm like miss, if I misinterpreted what you said, but like, I don't think that what you were saying in terms of um, like not oversimplifying prayers in front of your, your kids I don't think what you were saying, like on the flip side of that, is that we need to have these really complex prayers. Because no. I don't think that that's your heart from everything I know of you, but yeah. more that we can just be like raw and honest in our yes. prayers, however they are. Mm-hmm. And they don't need to be really flowery and monologuish. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be complex. They can be um, really elaborate if that's like an outpouring of your heart and that's the mm-hmm. natural kind of person that you are. Mm-hmm. They can be flor- formulaic and liturgical. Mm-hmm. They can be more freestyle. They can be articulate. They can be inarticulate. But I think that what it really boils down to is like, let our prayers be sincere mm-hmm. and acknowledging like the posture of our heart towards the one whom we're praying to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's that repetition Um, Mm -hmm. it's that repetition that matters for your children, but also for yourself, because, um, we like to say, oh, routines are so important for kids or, or repetition really is important for kids. And it's true. Like there's so many scientific studies that shows kids are going to be healthier, safer, like just better well-being overall when there's a routine that's safe, that's predictable, um, and that's healthy and helpful for them. But we don't ever really lose that. We just get better at coping with the lack of a routine as adults. <laughs> and I think that the consistency of continually coming to Christ and modeling to my kids has really helped humble my heart and saying, um, in recognizing just how much I really still need 
consistency with the Lord, how much I really still mm-hmm. need to come to Christ in those moments of overwhelm, in those moments of stress, in those moments of joy, um, and modeling all of the time. Um, as we were getting ready for this recording, Christina lost her headphones and she prays out loud, dear Lord, please help me find my headphones. And I do that all the time with my kids. I'm always like, I lose every little thing. So I'll be like, okay, God, I really need your help to find these keys. Can you please help me find them? And the kids will pray it with me and we say, amen. We all start searching. And then as soon as we find them, my daughter, every time without fail, praise God, he brought us the keys. And it just brings me such joy because I have tried, and so has my husband, we've tried very hard to show the answered prayer, to show God at Mm. work. Maybe it's not the response we got. There has been times when my keys have not been found, and my husband has come to save me. I still haven't found my headphones. Yes. (laughs) I still haven't found them. But my husband has had to come to save me. And every time I'm like, I didn't find my keys, but God, you still... You still answered my prayer. We still get to go home safely. And I I try really hard to say it out loud. And it's so good for my kids to see it out loud. And it's really good for me to speak it out loud. Because I might think that in my mind. But there is such power in proclaiming those things with our voice and with our mind at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind kind of echoes your point of you can always come home. Like, her saying that to you all of the time has instilled something into you that's so beautiful and it's reflective of of our savior and reflective of the depth of his forgiveness and love for us um and that consistency is so important um yeah yeah So this next question that I wanted to cover is relating to the episode that I did with Steve. Um, So for those who maybe haven't listened yet, uh, Steve is an amazing man who has both a degree in theology, but he also has 40 plus years of uh, background in the Australian Air Force. So um, he's retired from a full life in the military, and he brought a very um, helpful perspective to lesson number five, which um, Lewis was using the context of World War II to explore particular themes um, that would have been relevant to the fictional patient's life, um, but are relevant to all of us in the context of um, faith looking in the face of suffering. So obviously World War II, the, the topic of violence and of war and of evil, but also of human suffering and how that challenges our faith comes into play. Now, you mentioned that your husband is a first responder. Um, My stepdad is, he's retired, but he was also a first responder. Um, I've heard stories. And his last call was so traumatic that that it was actually the intensity and the heartbreak of what he witnessed that made him decide to finally retire. Mm -hmm. Um, And I won't, like, I remember when he told me the story very viscerally, and I'm not going to recall it because I just feel like that's a real downer for a Christmas episode. Yeah. But, like, being a first responder is, like, heavy, heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, just as it is the case if you are active military and you're faced with the reality of wartime, I, I believe that first responders are facing daily wartime in the civilian world. Um, and it's heavy and it's painful. And, um, 
obviously I know that your littles will be shielded from a lot of the details of that, but they can't be shielded entirely from the reality of suffering and evil when their daddy's a first responder. Like, yeah. And so I'm wondering how you navigate that on like a childlike level, Mm -hmm. talking about the goodness of God in light of there being like a really bad world with bad people and bad things that shouldn't happen in theory like in our childlike minds we would be like well if god is good why is he letting these things happen like that's a valid question i think we all ask whether we're a kid or we're a grown-up you know Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that kind of stuff yeah the first thing that i will say i have two i have a i'm gonna just start at the first thing the first thing is we read scripture with our kids all the time um and so orienting them in what is true about who god is is going to help them view the world, even if it's marginally so, a bit better through the eyes of Christ, through how God sees us. We can better understand who we are in Christ, and then we can better understand who those around us are in Christ. Um, And so we started with storybook Bibles, and we still use storybook Bibles. And my, my, like, quick tidbit of advice with storybook Bibles is um, read them before you read them to your kids. Because just because it says the name of God does not mean it accurately reflects who God is. So that starts even further back with you understanding who God is and daily seeking scripture. Mm. As you pick up a storybook Bible to read, and and if you would like, Christina, I can send you the links to my favorites. Um, I have a yeah, reel absolutely. actually I'm going to share soon that has my favorites um, based on ages. Um, but don't, don't get so stressed out. Just seek the Lord's guidance. Ask God. Okay, God, I need you to like make it clear if this is a good resource for me or not. I have to trust you because I don't, I can't study every little bit about this and that's a fine. So don't get too tripped up in it, but just be intentional is my little squirrel sidebar moment. I love for that you. you keep going back to like, this is a discipline, but also don't overcomplicate it. <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. Like that's what we see. Yeah. That's what we see modeled with Jesus. Like on earth is he is so disciplined. He rarely gets any sleep. He's woken up all the time. He says yes to most everything. Like he's constantly helping people, but also like, He's not planning everything. Like he is fully human at the same time. He's just going through his day and things come his yeah, way because being God really is just present. Yeah, God's just yeah. bringing him to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. And that's kind of yeah. That's exactly what our perspective needs to be. Um, yeah. Be intentional. Don't overcomplicate it. Bringing it back though is is really orienting our kids and understanding who God is and how God views people, both mm. believers and non-believers. And I think that that's important to understand because our relationship with God changes once we are saved by him, once we accept his gift of salvation. Like that relationship with him shifts into um, more wholeness, more fullness, um, more blessing, more um, love and comfort. That love is still there when we're not a believer. I really believe that God is, is, is wanting everybody to come to him, but he is so kind He's such a gentleman to not force us into something because that's if he forced us into it, that's slavery. That's that's abuse. That's not love. No, yeah, yeah. and that's not yeah. who he is. And so he provides us with opportunity, with opportunity, and opportunity, and and reminding our kids of that, reminding ourselves of that in the midst of such great suffering, I think is really important. Um, and so that's the first piece I would say is is constantly coming to scripture. Once your kids get about, honestly. If you, when you do your daily Bible reading, even if it's not daily, whatever you get to your Bible, 
if your kids are running around, read it out loud. Like, don't read it to them. Don't say you have to sit still for this Bible reading. But if you're reading something, be discerning about about what you're reading out loud. Because some stuff in the in scriptures just is like the Bible you know. is not rated G, <laughs> not at all. I mean, it's, it's it's history, really. And so, yeah, history is pretty disgusting. <laughs> and well, so, and it's be it's the rawness of humanity as yeah, well like yes, it doesn't yeah. hold back on the rawness of our human condition exactly and I, so, I quite like that about the bible to be yes, honest yes yeah. yeah which is yeah it's so sweet of our god to uh be real with us and not be condescending to us yeah absolutely um, but so that's a simple way you can start introducing actual holy spirit breathed word of god because it's important that you and your children understand the difference between a storybook bible and the actual living word of Christ. Um, mm. Because one is an interpretation of scripture simplified for the mind of a three-year-old. And one is God-breathed words. And there is yeah. a big difference. And I believe that both are important, not only for children, but for adults. I'm not saying you need to pick up a storybook Bible. But if you do, honestly, I have learned so much through. <laughs> I'm not even kidding because because we overcomplicate it. Like we we think yeah. of these big ordeals are how intense it is to get we make it like an uphill battle to get to Christ when God yeah. already dug down to us. Like there's yeah. no need for us to trek up there, you know? Well, and this is why I felt like this whole concept of reparenting ourselves, like mm-hmm. whether you're a parent or not listening to this cuz like I'm not a parent and yet I find it helpful to hear how you disciple your kids cuz I'm kind of sitting there like I could, I could apply that to my life in being a disciple. Like, yes, be intentional, but don't overcomplicate it is something that I need, you know? And just like sitting down in like that sweet innocence. I mean, like there's literally, this feels like a good time. I have this scripture up in my tabs and I was like hoping for the right time to read it. But like, okay, so literally in the gospel of Matthew, um, there's a scripture and this is when it says he, he is referring to Jesus It says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I could I could dig into so many different like um, theological elements of that scripture. And I think that there's so much more to it than just be like a kid. But also, I do think it can be simplified to like. Yes. Sometimes we just need to be like a kid. Yes. <laughs> no? Yeah. And, and yeah, there's such an innocence and a sweetness and a simplicity to mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think you could read that if you don't know the Lord and think like, geez, so he's telling you if you can't like go down to a child's level, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And like, that's how I could hear someone interpreting that if they right. didn't know the heart of Jesus. But mm-hmm. like the the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, which gives me like the blessing of being able to sometimes read something and know the heart of Christ because I am in relationship with him and his spirit dwells in me. And yes. so when I read that, I read that as like, you know, sometimes you can just like sit in all your sweet mess and lack of understanding. And if you just come to me in faith and trust, that's all you need yes. to like be in my presence and be in my kingdom. So mm-hmm. you even saying like the storybook Bible teaches you, that's like, that's the little child in you coming to Christ and just being like, yes. I really don't understand a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And this is a really simplified version of scripture, but like my heart is to know you. That's all I want. Like I'm showing up with my very half-hearted childlike understanding. Yeah. Here I am. And God meets us there. 
God meets us there. He's so faithful too. And I think that that's an important thing to really bring it back to your point. And then I have another thing. Don't let me forget. Yes. I have to come I won't let you forget. I wrote it down too, but sometimes I get, I get carried away. Um, (laughs) I think bringing it back to your point is that understanding who God is and understanding the character of God, just like you were saying, like if you were to get a text from your spouse or a friend that didn't have emojis or periods on it, you might be like, wait, are they upset? Like what's happening? Just a quick translation. So for British people, a period is a full stop. Carry on. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's not for you. Just for, for English yeah. people listening. Um, Cause they'll hear period and literally only think of periods like menstruation. Of, like, menstrual cycle. So, that yeah, is so just, Period <laughs> equals full stop. Carry full on. Stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. If there was no punctuation, is that a word I am allowed? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> then you might be like, what's going on here if there's no gif attached there's no like emoji or silly picture because there's like a certain like um culture we have when we text people but if you're texting your great grandma you're you're not going to read into it the same way because she doesn't understand the like texting <laughs> this rules. is such a good metaphor <laughs> there is, right. there's like undertones to how we text to convey emotion that yes. you just don't expect your grandma to know and everybody does it a little bit differently like true everybody does it when my husband is texting somebody else he'll use like lol i never use lol never not once or any abbreviations of any kind because i think they're ridiculous but that's just me being ridiculous (laughs) you know i never noticed that i don't like i never noticed that fair enough I don't have a good reason for like seven years and I've never (laughs) noticed that I use them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just not what I do. It's just not not how I would speak. And I think the the reason I'm bringing this up is because the further we are obedient, the more consistently we just come to Christ, the more we understand how he texts, like the more we get what he means. And so, and the same is true for our children and the same is true for us. Like, the more we just come to Christ, the better we can understand and interpret suffering. I think when we get into the topic of suffering, there's kind of two ways we can go about it. One school of thought, these are a bit extreme, but but one extreme is all suffering is for God's glory, comma, and it's going to like help me preach his name and it's all going to be like I'm going through this for a purpose and I will succumb to the pain of it so that I can bring others to Christ and that's Mm. like a half truth there is a bit of truth in that there is no point to suffering God is not real and we can prove that because we're hurting like those are two sort of extremes of an unbeliever's extreme and a believer's extreme and there is a little bit of truth Sorry, I want to add another one. Just if we stay within the spectrum of believers, I think that Mm -hmm. there are um, some streams of thought within Christian circles that are like, still don't believe there's any point to suffering and just believe that God like wants all good all the time. Um, We call it prosperity gospel. And so you can also have people who like will not acknowledge suffering as part of the Christian journey at all. So like you take that one step further. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. Nope, you took it. If you're suffering, yeah, it's yeah. like you're outside of the will of God entirely. Yeah. And like you, it that that can then stem to saying like you're suffering because of your own sin or something like that yeah. because God would never desire your suffering. So that's within right. the Christian circle. And then you take that one step further 
uh, outside of the Christian circle and you get to the <laughs> atheist view of like, there must not be a God because if right. there's a God, then why is there evil in the world? So yes. I just felt like that was worth it's saying still, because I do feel it's like important. it's important that like we know that some Christians still don't even acknowledge that like mm-hmm. suffering is in scripture as a part of our story. But then as you said, you, they can go so far the other end where it's like yes. stuff like the only point of being a Christian is to suffer. And like, I call it the martyrdom gospel versus the prosperity gospel. Yes. Thank you. Because that really does help me illustrate my point here. Because yeah. when we think about suffering, and there's a piece of truth in all of those things. There's like a little sliver of truth. Yes. yes. Sometimes suffering comes your way because God is testing you, because God is refining you, because God wants to sanctify you and he needs you to learn this lesson. That's absolutely true sometimes. We see it in scripture. Sometimes suffering comes your way, not because you've done anything or because you've done something wrong. Something Sometimes it is meant for- Just The natural consequences of your actions. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It is not God trying to hurt you. It is not God trying to trick you or set you up for failure. It is God saying, I do forgive you. Your for- My forgiveness is real. There's also real consequences to your actions. And bringing yes. it back to that prayer piece, that's the same thing we walk our kids through. You need to ask God for forgiveness because we need to make our relationship right with the Lord again. We need to come back to him. He does all the work. We just have to be willing to surrender. But there's still going to be a timeout because you hit your sister in the face. I need to know <laughs> that we ask for forgiveness. Sorry, I'm not laughing, but I am laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially one of your kids slapping the other kid and you having to be like, okay, come back. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes. <laughs> carry well, on. And- and it helps us, it helps our kids go through life thinking just because I've said sorry and because I've been forgiven doesn't mean I'm absolved of everything. Like, doesn't mean God's it eyes, didn't hurt my sister. Doesn't mean yes. they're not in pain still. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. so I think that's a practical way we can apply that to our kids and be reminded of ourselves. I think like on an adult level, sometimes the way that we might do this exact same thing is I was recently diagnosed with ADHD within like the last year and a half or something. I don't know. I don't know time because I have ADHD. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. (laughs) And, and I think that I'm certain once I was diagnosed, I expected it all to get better. Like I was just like, I know the thing now, so now it's going to be better, but there's still like quote unquote consequence. I still have to walk through the journey of healing. I still have to be disciplined. I still have to surrender myself. And I'm still going to go through sufferings to get to the other side of this healing earth side. But God still has my salvation secured. So the reason I bring this all up is because when we understand who Christ is, bringing it back to understanding who Christ is, we can look at these different views of suffering and see little slivers of truth in it. Um, But sometimes suffering just happens and it sucks and there's no reason and we don't understand. But what I can say is that our God is faithful. Our God is safe because I know how my God texts. I know that he redeems all things for his glory and for our good. And reminding ourselves that God is safe. Even in the midst of suffering, our God is faithful. Our God is true. Our God does not lie. Our God hates evil, hates it. Yeah. To such an yeah. extreme that he wiped out so many people in the earth to bring back up a better example of his love so that his church can grow in a space that is not an inherently evil. Like he sent his son to die on the cross for us and be rose, risen again to pursue not just the redemption of evil and to work all horrible things out for good, 
but also to pursue a relationship with us so that we can mm. text with him, so to speak. And I think remembering yeah. those two pieces helps us to understand and helps us to teach the purpose, quote unquote, of suffering yeah. in the world. Does that answer your Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And like, just a real quick pause. Um, you touched on the story of God wiping like a whole people group out. Um, just in case you're listening hmm. to this and you don't have deep biblical background, um, I presume you're talking about the story of Noah yes. in the ark. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's what I was like. I don't remember any other times where God wiped out a people group. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, it's it's in Genesis. If my mm-hmm. yeah, I it's early like, in Genesis, four or five. Early in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I thought. Um, I get real mixed up with like the first five books of the Bible. I, yeah. I like, it's all like one long narrative to me yes. and I get really mixed up between like Deuteronomy and Genesis and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the, the story in like a nutshell is essentially like a, an entire people group got to such a point of evil. Um, they were hurting themselves. They were hurting each other. And when I say evil guys, I'm talking like child sacrifice and like, just it, it would like think of your genuine like fantasy level definition of evil mm-hmm. and that was like where this people group had gotten and yeah. it says in scripture that god was so grieved that he regretted making humanity it never says that anywhere else in scripture anywhere else like and for god to be that grieved like that's yeah. inte- that's intense um yeah. and so that grief was not just that evil was in the world but like he would have literally been watching his beloved people his creation like tormenting each other like yes. hurting each other like i have no doubt that he loved those people and that like the flood that came in the story of noah was like the only ability to eradicate evil because there are so many other like stories in the bible where God has a conversation with like the one faithful person left in an evil city. And that person will say like, if there is 10 righteous people, will you save this city? And God's like, yes. And then they go like, is there, if there was four righteous people, would you save this city? And God's like, yes, there could be 20,000 evil people. And if there was like just a handful of righteous people, I will save the city. And you've got the story of Jonah where you've got like 20,000. I just read Jonah last week. And at the time I was like, God, why are you asking me to read Jonah? Cause it was one of those times where I felt God telling me to read Jonah. And I was like, why? right now, like I'm in the Psalms and I'm in Philippians. Why are you telling me to read Jonah? And then I read Jonah. And then like in three days, there was just the very last scripture of Jonah has felt relevant to me like four times in the last three days in very specific situations. And I'm like, Oh God, that's why you told me to read Jonah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, but it's that the very last scripture, the very last verse of, um, Jonah where Jonah's throwing a little tantrum because he was sent to preach, uh, like basically tell the Ninevites to repent because they were also being really evil. Um, And again, by evil, I mean like the Ninevites were known for some of the worst capital torture in known history. Like they used to, um, I don't even want to describe the types of things that they would do as capital torture because it's graphic, but it was horrendous. very graphic, which I had never understood the depth of, of torture that was happening until I was an adult. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like, there's a reason that Jonah was throwing a tantrum and didn't want to go save these people. Like, I always Mm -hmm. feel really bad for Jonah because in Christian teaching, we always just talk about how disobedient he is. And he is. Of course he's disobedient. Of course he is. But, like, 
I am not going to pretend like I would have been jumping at the bit to go and like offer a message of salvation to people who were like disemboweling each other. Um, It was like these people were horrendous. There's a reason that God sent a prophet to them. But the last scripture, because Jonah goes and he preaches salvation and they repent and then Jonah's mad about it because he's like, I don't want them to get saved. Like they're evil. And so he's thrown this little tantrum and God basically says like, Jonah, should I not have cared about this city of 20,000 people like and their animals? I like this little bit that really stood out to me is he also mentions his care for animals, which I won't get into. But since I got a puppy, that's felt like a really profound scripture to me. My friend's dog died a couple days ago and I shared that scripture with her and she said it offered her more comfort than anything else has since her dog passed away. I think that God cares about every single one of his creation. I think that's why God led me to Jonah, honestly, was in preparation for comforting my friend in her grief. But like in this last in this last verse, like God is basically saying, like, these people are so evil. And yet I love not only them, but like their dogs and they're like Mm -hmm. they're mongrels. I love even though they're evil. And I sent you to save them because I love them. So I love that. Like you're basically saying, like, we have to know the character of our God. And that only comes from like our first like topic was prayer and this topic that we keep coming back to of like coming to scripture, whether that's like in a childlike format to suit the mind of a three-year-old or as adults, like I did not understand why God asked me to read Jonah. And like, just to be really clear, guys, I didn't have an audible voice from God. I feel like Christians are really vague when they say like, oh, God told me to do this thing. And like, Mm -hmm. my husband still asks this all the time. Um, My husband has been a Christian for, I think, four or five years now. And he's always like, what do you mean God told you? Like, he's never had like an audible voice of God moment. And to be honest, um, I wouldn't say I've ever had an audible voice. I've had very, very close to an audible voice, but never quite an audible voice. God's spoken to me in dreams before. Um, but often it'll just be something as simple as like, I feel this random urge to read a book in the Bible that wasn't even on my radar that I had no interest in. And I'm like, you've always said it. Like, if you feel that little nudge, it's probably God. Just like follow yep. it. See what happens. Don't overcomplicate it. Just go with mm-hmm. it. And so I was like, why is Jonah just on my mind? Like, I don't know. I'll read it. It's a short book. Like, it's going to take me, what, 10 minutes to read the whole thing? Maybe less than that. And it was only that last verse that stuck with me. And yet in five days, God has made that so alive and so relevant through like comforting my grieving friend, through talking about the topic of suffering with you. Like, because we're just showing up I had no understanding of why I was supposed to read Jonah. I did not come away finishing it having any sort of revelation, but I just was intentional and then didn't overcomplicate Mm -hmm. it. And then often like through a slow process, God like reveals his intentions with me and, and why he wanted me to read this and helps me understand it. And that's through like no effort of my own. And I feel like that I just want to like tie that back to the kind of gentle reparenting thing is like we just show up. But, like, the biggest, like, mind-blowing things that happen with God are not through our own effort. Like, God does it, and we just get to sit back. And, like, what a gift that, like, that's so restful. You know, the the letter of screw tape that I mentioned is the first one that we talked about that we keep coming back to is, like, 
this pressure of feeling like we have to manufacture a feeling in our prayers. Like we have to, if we're praying for God to help us forgive someone, we're trying to manufacture this deep feeling of forgiveness or this deep feeling of courage or whatever. And actually like those miracles take place like always when God does it and when we don't. And there's such rest in that. There's such gentleness in that. And also like just going back to my more like playful airy fairy self there's magic in that because we get to sit back and be Mm -hmm. like gosh what's god gonna do next like if Mm -hmm. i just turn up and open my bible and just read it and see what happens and then walk away and think oh that was weird i didn't get anything out of that but what might god do like Mm -hmm. what posture of playful curiosity can i approach in this world like a child would if i just Mm -hmm. turn up try to get to know God and then sit back and trust that he's going to do his cool thing that he does by being the God of the universe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that I would like to point out from this is that you took a step. Wobbly yes. as it may be, unsure. You're like, man, this doesn't make any sense at all, but whatever. And you just do the How's thing. The intentional? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so modeling that for our children in our own lives and allowing them to see us take those wobbly steps And walking through, holding their hand as they take those wobbly steps is discipleship. That's what that is. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, Did you have a third point that I was supposed to remind you of? Yes. So before we move on to the next point, I want to say a very practical way to talk about suffering. And any – this is the best – honestly, one of the best pieces of parenting advice I have have ever received. And I think it applies not only to our children – but also to um, believers who may not be as mature in their relationship with Christ. So hold those two things in mind. I think it applies to if you have children or to somebody who just may not have the fullness of understanding about a topic that you have yet. And the advice is simple is when they ask a tricky question about suffering, about something that makes you feel really uncomfortable or about something that's a very nuanced topic that – for whatever reason, whether because they're little or because they just don't have a full understanding of the thing yet, um, when they ask a question, just answer the question directly. Like, for example, and don't go down like a rabbit trail. So, like, if my daughter says, why did your cousin die? I can answer. She was really sick. She had a lot of health problems. And now she's died. And then the next question that she might ask is, like, what happens to her now that she's dead? And I answer the next question. I don't have to say she died, but God and blah, 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 and like launch right. into a whole thing about it. I can just say, this is why she's, this is why she's dead. Um, and I yeah. can speak plainly and use factual scientific words. I think that really applies to complicated topics like sex, like um, relationships with people, like those types of things. Like if we just answer the question right in front of us, like another really great practical example is is I was talking about a field trip I went on in my um, when I was at elementary so primary school that's what you guys call it right yeah yeah you're doing good uh, primary school <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a one step away from being European well the first American. thing you gotta do is not equate being British with European because they okay, do not right. self identify as European. <laughs> So not so close. I'm very American. Not so close. They don't actually even, I wouldn't even say they self-identify as British. Like the English identify as English. The Scottish identify as Scottish. The Welsh identify as Welsh. And the Irish identify as Irish. Yeah. That was so unique. Northern Irish. Northern Irish. Interesting for me to like, that's such a 
cultural difference to America because all Americans identify as the collective America. Uh, American, yeah. 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 We don't identify specifically as like, I would never, I live in Washington state. I would never say I'm a Washingtonian. I would say I'm American. I didn't even know that was a word, Washingtonian. I know. That's kind of (laughs) cool. It's Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, an element of like each nation within the United Kingdom. And I even caught myself because I said Irish and actually Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland are two separate nations. The Republic of Ireland is not a part of the United Kingdom. And I'm very mindful of noting that because um, that is, there's a lot of tension and a lot of... um, very, very charged political and religious reasons for why Northern Ireland and Ireland have separated and Northern Ireland Mm -hmm. is part of the United Kingdom and Ireland is not. So, um, but every single nation within the United Kingdom um, has its own like very deep and rich history as a nation, has its own language. Like the Welsh have their own language. The Scots have their own language. Like, so there's a lot of pride within, like, they are not states, they are nations of their own right, but which is makes it kind of weird because, like, America's so big, and, like, right. some of the states in the U.S. are bigger than, like, the entire U.K., mm-hmm. um, yeah. and yet these little nations, like, the United Kingdom is just that, it is like a kingdom of United mm-hmm. Nations, but it isn't one single nation. Which is just a little segue that I don't know why we got onto, but it is interesting. It's interesting to me because I know so I know so little about it, and I think that really illustrates my point. You just answered the one thing in front of me, like you did. You corrected me on something. You just said the correction, and that dovetailed into the next step, and that dovetailed into the next step. And I think it really illustrates exactly what I'm trying. The point I'm the point I'm trying to make here. Bringing it back to it. Uh, such a good connection. I'm sorry. Can I just say, like, that was a beautiful <laughs> dovetail. It, like, back. You just, like, segued right back into the podcast. Real, real. You yeah. are a podcaster. Like, I'm not editing this oh, this whole little sidebar. I'm it's keeping me. it in just to, like, be like, look how well she brought it back to the Thanks, point. Guys. Carry Thank on. You. I accept donations in the form of coffee. <laughs> in the forms of coffee. Yeah, Absolutely. You just send it across that ocean. I'll I'll happily drink it. Tea. I'll send you a box of coffee. Whatever. Gladly. Yeah. Okay. Back to the point, though. So I was sitting at my back dining room table, point. and my uh, my middle child, my six year old, and my seven year old, we were talking about field trips, and I mentioned that I got to go on this really cool field trip when I was in elementary school, and um, the field trip was that I got to go to a salmon hatchery and be a part of the whole process of like breeding the salmon so we got to the really old salmon we got we had like this huge hammer and you smash them on the head with this mallet um and then you use you like mix the sperm and the eggs together and like we got to go through this whole process it was so it was today it was like my favorite field trip and only a couple of us got to go on it so it was it was really special to me and so I was talking about it with the kids and um Sloan goes what's sperm and I just answered oh, it's the dad's portion of making a baby. And she's like, okay. We just carried on with the next topic. Like, I didn't need to go into a whole, here is what sex is and here is how it works. And, like, it's really easy for us as adults who see things in a very complicated way. We understand nuance in a way that a child isn't. And in the same way, a new believer isn't going to understand the complexities just yet of what um, uh, Jonah experienced in that moment like we just see a disobedient kid a judgmental god and we don't get the fullness of it 
until we continue to faithfully, faithfully take steps forward and God models that to us as we try to model that to our children. So that's what I wanted. That that links so well. Look at us just linking things so well. It's this the Holy is like Spirit. the it's the Holy Spirit. But for me as an academic, it's just like mwah, it's like the smoothest like audio academic essay. It's actually not that smooth. We've rambled a lot, but we're cute, so we get away with it, right? But we're so um, cute. But neither of us are good at brevity. Like we both no, have a lot no, of words. No, no, it's why we get along. We have so many words, but we like appreciate each other's words. Yes. Like I went through high school just overwhelming people with my words and like same thank god i now live in a generation where like i can i i this can be my job i can my words can serve me yes amen (laughs) but i was gonna link this in i'm just ruining all the lovely connections by going off on tangents about the connections we're making but what you said there about just like that um just taking the next step and taking the next step and like just deal with the the thing in front of you. So for instance, like I honestly think at first I thought that God leading me to Jonah was just to help me with my, my friend who was grieving. Um, mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking it's also because the very process of doing that is now fresh in my mind to like emulate that exact concept that you're talking about of just like coming to God, not trying to overcomplicate it, just taking what's there at face value and then just like keep going. Just keep yes. going. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. And I was going to read a quote from the letter that I we're talking about at this in this section of the podcast about suffering and about war. This is from letter number five. It says, the enemy's human partisans have all been plainly told by him that suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption. Now, remember, the enemy is referring to God. Um, I feel like it can always be really confusing because in the Christian circles, we refer to Satan as the enemy. But this is whole all flipped so from screw tapes perspective the enemy is god so i could reread it and say god's uh god's people basically have all been plainly told by him that suffering is an essential is an essential part of what he calls redemption sorry i'm gonna i didn't take a drink of water i'm like talking too fast and tripping over my words here hang on i'm all excited Mm, i'm all fired up i don't even know how i would edit this part out so i'm just gonna leave it in um But I feel like you could read that suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption. I have that underlined. I feel like you could read that. And if you didn't know God, that is like the cruelest sentence. It's just like straight up awful to be like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to let you suffer so that I could redeem you. Um, And that was an actual like wrestle that I went through with God I share a little bit more of my story um, on the episode where we cover this letter, um, the one where I'm I'm on with Steve. But I went through this season where I was like, I was suffering. I was trying to figure out where my suffering fit in that spectrum that you described from like martyrdom gospel to prosperity gospel. I'm like, where does this actually fit? Like, where is the theological truth about my suffering? Is there a reason for it? Is it part of my redemption? Is it completely out of God's plan and design? Or does it just happen because sometimes life sucks or is it a combination of all of those things? Like I, and where is God in this? Like, is God good? Where is he in my story? What, um, what's going to come of this? Because I need it to go somewhere. I need to log this in my mind with some sort of meaning. Otherwise, like this just feels like an unreasonably cruel amount of pain for a loving God to allow me to endure. And so when we think of things like suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption um 
I, I don't want to go like into this too much because we've got one more point we want to cover and you and I can, a common phrase out here is talk for England. You and I can literally talk for England. Um, I like that. But it's a great phrase. But I, I look at that sentence, suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption. And if you're, if you're someone who maybe has never had an intimate relationship with God, or maybe you've walked away from God because it, he's just, he has felt like a cruel God to you and you're kind of in the process of working your way back and you found yourself here listening to this. Um, first of all, I'm really glad you're here. Um, may God bless you and be with you in this moment. But um, I experienced, I experienced God redeeming my suffering in a profound way. And part of that was actually like Dusty got to be present for that. Part of that was the culmination of my wedding, which happened earlier this year. Um, I was meant to get married in 2020 and we all know how that year went. Um, and the the way that my wedding fell apart, which um, was then followed with multiple family deaths and some absolute financial disasters and um, some depression and just like a lot, a lot, a lot of delayed hopes and a lot of failed things. And it all started with my wedding falling apart, which um, I can't get into the story of why my wedding was so important to me. But based on my like family's history, I had always believed that my wedding day would be like a day where I got to express my faith in a way I never would before, never would like after, based uniquely on like the type of way that I worship and my personality and like the way that I've connected through God through like the narrative of marriage. It just felt like it was going to be an opportunity for God and I to like have a victory feast, like me, God, and my husband in a way that I, I'll write a book about someday. It's far too much for me to explain, but it was a heck of a lot more than just me like getting to dance around in a pretty white dress. Like it was a profoundly spiritual experience and losing it was a profoundly spiritual experience and it was heartbreaking and it was, you know, like compacted with grief of family deaths and all these other things. And then three years later, um, that wedding day was redeemed and it was redeemed in a way that just goes beyond like my wildest dreams, genuinely. Like I could have never... I could have never painted a day that was more profoundly redemptive than the day that I had. Um, not just because like it was pretty and there were, you know, beautiful flowers and I had a nice dress, but because of the way that we got to express our faith, the way that people came together and rallied around us in a way that felt like the closest culmination I've ever experienced of that prayer on earth as it is in heaven, like I felt like I had a little taste of what heaven's going to look like because not only of the beauty and the joy, but the community that I was in and the way that I felt surrounded and loved. And it was stunning. And I can only look back now that the redemptions happened and be grateful for that full story. Hmm. But I also recognize that for some people, that's not like they don't see that I've got this nice, well-rounded little narrative of like my wedding being lost and my wedding being redeemed. Not everyone has that nice, well-rounded little narrative. And I'm confident that, well, no, I shouldn't speak this over myself. This might not happen, but there is a chance that I will hit another season of suffering that doesn't have a nice, well-rounded bow tied to it at the end. And I believe that going back to this theme of intention, of like just turning up and giving our best and then trusting God with the rest. The only reason that I felt that I was able to experience that redemption story at all was because in my season of suffering, the only choice I had was to just keep turning up and asking God why he was good. 
I did not believe he was good anymore. I did not feel his goodness. I felt completely abandoned by him. But I knew that I knew that I knew that he was real. And so all I had to give him was my curiosity and my pain. That was all I had. God, I am hurting. I do not feel that you are good. And the only thing I have to offer you is my question. Why are you good? How are you good? Show me, show me, show me. And I just kept turning up with that. That was all I had. So I was intentional that it was all I gave. It was all I had to give, but I kept giving it to God again and again and again. And he turned up. Now I'm confident that if I had not done that, my story would be different. And so linking that to the theme of intention that you mentioned, but also this theme of like knowing God, all I had was a question. But that question of God, why are you good? How are you good? That question was a posture of still wanting to know how God texts. Yes. I still wanted to know who God was. Like, yes. I knew that all I had left was the potential to learn a little bit more about who God was. And so when you when you start to really dig your heels in and desire a relationship with God that's that deep, that's that intimate, that you can offer even your like raw, painful questions to him. I mean, Jesus on the cross said, God, why have you forsaken me? Like God does not shy away from our painful questions of him. But in asking those questions, like, look what, like for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Look what happened after he was crucified. He rose again. There was redemption. I don't understand still to this day why suffering is a part of the redemption story. I suppose you can't redeem something that hasn't been broken first. But I still don't get why that's so beautiful. And I don't get why it has to happen that way. But what I do know is that like, if we just show up with whatever we have, even if it's a broken question, and our desire is to just be intentional with knowing how God texts, and that's it. I do believe that he meets us and I don't always necessarily, I'm not trying to say that it means your story will get wrapped up with a pretty little bow. Um, there's a beautiful book coming out by Kristen. Is it Lavelli or Lavalle? I don't know how to La- pronounce La- her. Lavalle. Kristen mm-hmm. Lavalle. And it's titled Even If He Doesn't. Book. Yeah. And so like there are stories where he's he doesn't turn up in the way that we hope. And like mm-hmm. the answer that we're hoping for doesn't come. You know, um, if you if you are someone who like loses a spouse really young or loses a child really young, like there's no bringing that person back like that. This side of heaven, I should say, like I believe that ultimately everything is redeemed in eternity and I believe you'll be reunited with the ones you love. Like I believe that wholeheartedly you will have them in your arms like in Jesus name. However, um, this side of heaven, like that grief won't be just like I had my wedding restored to me this side of heaven I know that that is not every person's story of suffering but I think that if we are building that muscle like we would with little kids to just keep coming back and just giving God whatever we have with our questions and trying to learn how he texts um then we get to sit back and rest and just trust that he'll do the rest I did not experience what I experienced because I could manufacture faith in God. God told me that I was going to have another wedding and told me where it was going to be and told me how it was going to look through a dream. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have given myself a dream. I couldn't have known or had the confidence like, oh, this is where we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. Couldn't have done that. Like God, God gave me a dream and he spoke to me and there's rest in just turning up and then resting in like God will meet us and do, and do the rest. 
Yeah. Yeah. And something I would like to say, and if, if I'm out of line here, take this bit out and tell me I'm out of line. But something that I think is important to know is nobody, I think it's probably safe to assume, understood the fullness of why losing a party was so impactful to you. Like we did yeah. not get why it was a big deal. I didn't. Yeah. I knew it was important to you and I grieved that loss because I love you and I saw the sorrow and I I, I was privileged to be a part of that of that um, wrestling and to to see you walk through that process. But I didn't understand. Like, I didn't understand why this was so important to you. Um, yeah. And I think that's – the reason I bring this up is because that's her that's – Chris, that's a great example of Christina brokenly trusting the Holy Spirit, just mm. taking this step forward and not saying, oh, all right, well, it's just like a wedding – no, for her it wasn't because for God said, no, this will not be a wedding for you. This will be so much more. Like mm. this will be a very, very different. And having flown across the whole world to be there, I got <laughs> to witness this from a very unique perspective from somebody who isn't next door to Christina. Though we talk often, it is not the same as like being in the same room. And yeah. I got to see and experience and play a very small part in sharing the gospel in having incredible conversations with complete strangers that wove into the next day that wove into the next day that has still been weaving into my day-to-day experiences back in the states and seeing God's glory seeing God's goodness seeing this theme of redemption worked through something as seemingly quote unquote insignificant as a wedding ceremony because she was intentional. Like because Christina Mm. had a sliver of faith and she had a broken wobbly step forward and it said, no, I know this might look different to the rest of the world. I know that the rest of the world may not value this the way that I value it, but God has given me an instruction. And so I'm going to take a faithful step forward. And that does require bravery and it will require you walking into suffering but I think what's beautiful here and what I think I hope that everybody walks away with is um you're safe there yeah God welcomes those questions if that's all Christina has was that question like are you even good are you even with me right now and that's all she had and and God comforted her even in the midst of that suffering and so I the reason I want to say that is because Hearing you explain why your wedding was was more than just a quote-unquote quick legal transaction or a pretty party is different than hearing somebody else say it. Because I got to see it from a, a, um, a perspective that I didn't know I could even have. Like the wow. way that God worked through this event in my own life and even in my husband's life who didn't even attend the <laughs> event – and was in the states with our children. Like, it, when you get that inkling, read Jonah. Do it. When you feel like, hmm, yeah. I think I should park in this space and not in this space, even though it makes no logical sense. Park in this space that you feel the inkling to park in. Like, just take the next little step forward because the Holy Spirit wants to guide you into His goodness, even if it makes zero sense at all. And he does it with the little things. I really appreciate you saying that, Dusty, because that was actually something that I wrestled with a lot. And 
Um, you are correct. I I felt like almost shame. No, not almost. I did feel shame. Yeah. I felt shame grieving a wedding as if it were a death. And I absolutely did. And like, I think especially because I am like, I will not even hide it. Like I am a privileged middle class white woman. Like I, I could see yeah. how people could put a stereotype on me. Um, just grieving the loss of like an opportunity to be the center of attention, I guess. And yep. like just the opportunity yep. to have the thing that um, societally mm-hmm. is like the thing that everyone has. And it's always like the bride's big day and da, 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 da. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like if you look at every culture, like a wedding is a big deal. But for me personally, um, a wedding represented like one of the closest versions of what we can experience here on this side of heaven, of heaven itself. It, for me, was like a, I call it a battle cry of joy. It was like a battle cry, a victory cry of joy. Um, I believe that marriage in and of itself is like one of the closest pictures that we have to experiencing the intimacy that um, Jesus died for to have with us, that -hmm. God wants to have with us. And it was going to be like full on in my mind, even before COVID, like my wedding day, was like a declaration of love to my husband and an act of worship to my God. And I wanted it to be an opportunity, especially like living here in what is, I would say, a much more secular country than in the U.S., an opportunity for people who had never maybe heard the gospel or never heard it outside of a church context um, to hear the gospel. I wanted it to just be like, like my whole heart, like if you cut me open and my gut spilled out, it would have been spilled out all on my wedding day. Like every piece of me that believes in good and beauty and joy and dancing and laughter in music in um landscape in color in nature and in like worship was going to culminate on that day i understand why so many other people would look at that and think like it's just a party but whether it's a wedding day or like a career dream or a parking space like God cares whatever it is. Like, God cares so much. Like, if we're talking about reparenting ourselves with gentleness, like, can we just start with acknowledging how much God cares about the little things? And, like, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't little at all. It was huge. And it still feels like, like, I feel like I felt frozen in time for three years until that wedding was able to take place. Like, spiritually, I felt stuck. I felt like God and I had unfinished business. And it felt so personal for me because I'm like, if I know that God cares about the little things and I know that God knows how much this day mattered to me, it feels like a personal betrayal from God that he wouldn't like have given me the inkling to get married a year sooner. My husband and I were together for eight years before we got married. Like, why didn't the Holy Spirit talk to me and tell me to get married in 2019? Like, I I was just like, why has God allowed me to go through this? Like, I know it's quote unquote just a wedding, but like supposedly my God loves me that tenderly. Why would he allow that? And I think whatever it is that you're grieving, like give yourself an acknowledgement that your suffering is valid, whether you're grieving a dream, a wedding, a loved one, a pet, like a parking space. Like my coach says everything is grief. Like we every single day will experience grief because we all have this hope for a perfect world that just in little micro ways and in big ways doesn't manifest in perfection and we grieve it. 
Like mm-hmm. we grieve every day the perfect world that God designed for us and wanted for us. And if we grieve, then God grieves. And like that gentleness of God caring about the little things and the big things, like can we just accept God, God's love and God's tenderness and God's care for us and also acknowledge our own grief and like give ourselves the space? I, sh- I felt ashamed to grieve. I for so long would not, I didn't feel like I could access my grief fully because it felt frivolous to grieve something that wasn't a human person dying, but it felt like a death to me. Mm -hmm. And it felt like a death because it felt like a betrayal by my God, which felt like a real knock to my faith, which felt like a question of like, are all these things I believe in and these things that I fight for even valuable? Like I went through so many questions of like, who am I if the things I'm passionate about don't matter to God? Like, who does that make me? Like, and so wherever you're at, like in this topic of like trying to figure out is God good in your suffering? Like when you know, when you know you're God, when you turn up with whatever broken intentions you have and just say like, who are you, God? Like, talk to me, show me who you are. I think that whether there is a nice little bow tied on the suffering story or not, the clarity of God's character becomes more powerful than the suffering that we're talking about. And please don't misunderstand me. I know the gravity of what I'm saying. I see the rising death toll numbers in Gaza. I I still, like, I have friends who are Ukrainian, and I see what they're going through. Like, I know the reality of human trafficking. Like, I am not dismissing how heavy suffering is, but I am still saying God cares and, like, his love, his compassion, and his power to redeem and heal, like, that will be, like, the ultimate and final, like, victory feast. It will. Yeah. Okay, friends, that's the end of part one. I normally finish each episode with a psalm, but I'm actually going to finish with that classic Christmas scripture from Isaiah, because what better time to do that than with a Christmas special? But before I read that, I just wanted to remind you that if you want to connect with us further, you can join the book club community. Dusty and I are both over there chatting about Screwtape Letters and Lewis and all sorts of other areas of our faith, along with some other fabulous people whose company and conversation I'm really enjoying. So you can join the book club for £5 a month at magiclikethis.substack.com and that gives you access to our community chats and exclusive podcast episodes that are only available to book club members but you can also subscribe for free and just receive our weekly newsletter from Magic Like This. Same link magiclikethis.substack.com. You can also hang out with us over on Instagram at magiclikethispodcast and if you are enjoying listening to this I would be so grateful if you would follow and subscribe on whatever podcast app you use and particularly if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts that would just do so much to help get this podcast out to more people so if that's something that you've got time or an inkling to do that would be just wonderful but I'm gonna read this scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 now it is that classic Christmas scripture but I just want to read it almost as a prayer of blessing over you wherever you're at whatever you're going through right now as we enter the Christmas season or if you're listening to this far into the future and it's not Christmas time but you are still in a season of struggle or even a a season of joy this promise is a promise that we can all grab onto tangibly with both hands because it is the living God who gives this promise to us 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Bless you, friends. Merry Christmas.